Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. You know, I've, I repeat this everywhere I go. We're really clear and, and been sort of trained to name the feet that are situated on our nets. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've not really done the work of naming the nets that our feet are situated on. And after having done that, taking your feet off. That I owe to Bell Hooks, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show. I'm Laverne Cox. Language is also a place of struggle, is the beginning of my favorite quote from Bell Hooks. It's from her 1991 book, Yearning. And I am struggling with finding the language right now to express what bell hooks means to me and how important it is for me to have this conversation and to continue since bell hooks has passed away. Um, Bell hooks died in December of 2021. And when she passed away, I knew that I wanted to use every platform that I have um, to try to continue to honor her work, honor her legacy. It's work that shaped me when I was a young college student in New York City in the early 90s. I often say I came to critical consciousness reading her books. Black Looks was the first book that I read of hers. Bell Hooks is, or Bell Hooks was, a feminist author, a professor. She taught at Oberlin at Yale University, City College of New York. She ended her career at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. She wrote over 30 books. She was a public intellectual. She, for me, is the mother of intersectional feminism. And Bell Hooks is someone I got to know personally. And that is really a dream come true. And um, I had the honor of speaking to her on the phone um, the day before she passed away. And, um, yeah. Um, I love her so much. I love her so much. And I am so deeply honored to have two amazing people join me today to talk about her, her work, and her legacy. Imani Perry is a multidisciplinary scholar, professor of African American studies at Princeton University, international speaker, and the author of seven books. Her most recent book, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation, won the 2022 National Book Award for Nonfiction. Perry writes a newsletter for The Atlantic and has written for The New York Times, Harper's, New York Magazine, and more. Darnell L. Moore is an author and activist. 
his award-winning memoir, No Ashes in the Fire, Coming of Age Black and Free in America, was listed as a 2018 New York Times notable book. Moore is also a writer-in-residence at Columbia University and a 2019 senior fellow at the University of Southern California. His writings have appeared in the New York Times Book Review, Playboy, Vice, The Guardian, The Nation, Ebony, and other outlets. And he is currently at work on his second book, tentatively titled Unbecoming, Visions Beyond the Limits of Manhood. Please enjoy our conversation in tribute to the singular bell hooks. Hello, Darnell and Imani. Welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? Darnell, how are you feeling? I feel better seeing you all, being in conversation with you all. This is beautiful. Mm, Imani, how are you, darling? I think similarly, you know, it's, um, this is an overwhelming time, but it is wonderful to be in conversation with y'all. Yeah. I, uh, Bell Hooks. <laughs> we all knew and loved Bell Hooks. Her work, I know transformed my life. And since she has passed away, it's been really important to me to honor her legacy, honor her work. She was all about folks engaging with the work. And I wanted to take this podcast as a moment to do that. Darnell, can you start by telling us when you first encountered Belle's work and and how that impacted you? Sure. I first encountered Belle's work when I was, well, maybe uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a late bloomer in that way to Belle. And it's interesting because I had been exposed to folk like Cheryl Clark and um, a lot of sort of Black lesbian feminists much earlier. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you discovered Belle's work, roughly? How old were you? Undergrad. It was undergrad, okay. Yeah, so, so that's the sort of time frame for me. And it's funny also because at the time, like, as a person who was who who assumed that he would go into like academia there was this way <laughs> that i was i was groomed to believe that one needed to write a certain way that the text needed to sort of like flow and appear a certain way that it needed to be sort of like overly theoretical mm-hmm. and i remember first reading this like huh anybody can pick this up and just read this you know and it's interesting fast mm. forward all the years to think mm. about knowing what it takes to take really thoughtful, super, super, super like theoretical concepts and actually making them accessible for anyone to be able to pick it up and read, to do the work of translation mm-hmm. was such a gift. And I, I I look back at the self that was wanting something, wanting Bell's writing to be something other than that. Um, and now where I am now thinking about the ways that she has taught me um, to step sort of behind all of the sort of accoutrements that language can be to really make our our words make meaning for people that need them. Mm. She was deeply committed to the work reaching the average everyday person. That was so important to her, reaching beyond the academy. So your initial intro to Belle, you were like, why is she writing like this? This isn't academic enough. That was your like, initial impression <laughs> when you read the work. But it is academic. It is academic. It's theory. Very much so. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's, you know, like there was certain writers and a style of writing yeah. that I was being sort of groomed to model my writing after and to model my thinking after. And I, she, her work became something of a gift to me to free mm. myself. Mm. Mm. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Imani, when did you first in- encounter Belle's work? So... I met her and her work at the same time. Mm. So I was an intern at South End Press. And so, you know, her books lined the walls and then she'd come in. And so it's part of the reason I, I still, in my head, I, I call her Gloria because I met her as Gloria. And from the outset, it was interesting because to meet her in the page at the same time, one and you get this on the page, it's part of how she's academic, is she was such a voracious reader, mm-hmm. but her relationship to reading and knowledge wasn't the sort of pomp of most academics. Like, it wasn't, I know more than you. It was like, I'm passionate about ideas. 
and I want to talk about these things I'm reading. And I'm trying to figure this out, not just on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level and how I'm going to deal with my relationships and how I'm going to deal with my brokenheartedness and how I'm going to. And so she was one of these people who opens up what it means to live the life of the mind Mm. and felt like, you know, so accessible, but also an invitation to be a kind of person that feels that I think it's often, often we feel like it's not acceptable to be that kind of person who just Mm -hmm. is passionate about ideas and big questions. And so I encountered her as someone who taught a lesson about how to be expansively. Mm. And I was, I was, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. So as a young person, that was just amazing, you know, and she dressed cute and she had a red Mercedes, <laughs> like, you know, it was like the whole thing, right? I was like, oh, like, it's okay to be, you know, to be. You can be feminist and fly. <laughs> yeah. And fly, you know, and enjoy food and talk about sex and like all this. It was just beautiful. She was beautiful. It's it's in the work. There is a quest for transformation, uh, yeah. to be made over, to heal. There's so mm. much um, in the work there that I think that really deeply spoke to me is that as critical as she was, Black Looks was the first book I read of hers, and that's you know ferocious and critical and mm-hmm. provocative with titles like selling hot pussy and eating the other, and, <laughs> um. <laughs> I, which I just love the provocation of it all. But there's healing in all of it. The way that she writes and the search that she's on as an academic and as a human being and as an artist, I think that she's she's really an artist, is about being transformed and being healed. Um, yeah. And, and, and giving that as an offering to, to the world. So... I had the honor of speaking at Harvard University last year. I, I received their W.E.B. Du Bois medal, and I evoked Bell's work in her words mm. and evoked one of her most famous phrases, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy. And she um, talked about coming up with this, um, what she calls this jargonistic kind of phrase to speak to the ways in which systems of oppression are interlocking or intersecting and as a way to sort of understand what is happening to her and that if we only look through the lens of race that we're not seeing the whole picture if we only look through the lens of gender we're not seeing the whole picture she was talking about intersectionality before we had the term intersectionality right and mm-hmm. black feminism has always been intersectional but i think that that for me, that phrase is so important and is, is a way to understand and such a contribution to the, to the work. Can you talk about your relationship to Bell's intersectional approach, intersectional feminism, Black intersectional feminism? I mean, there's a whole history of it and, and how she does so much um, with the phrase imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. I mean, I, I would say... You know, there's something really brilliant about the weight of the language Mm -hmm. because it's heavy. Yeah. And she was such a student of like social theory of understand, you know, Mm -hmm. um, sophisticated understanding the way capitalism worked, the way transatlantic slave trade worked. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, what she was asking us to do with that phrase is one, to feel the weight, but also to understand systems. Right. And. Obviously, our identities are really important, but our identities underneath these systems of domination. She always talked about domination, right? Um, and that, I think, is another piece of what was so brilliant. Not just, you know, capitalism, not just sexism, not just race. Domination. What are the ways in which mm-hmm. others are controlling the lives and the destinies of some, right? And so for me... Um, the turn of phrase was just so brilliant. She never wanted us to forget, mm-hmm. right? The complexity, right? Even though her language was plain, mm. where we're situated is mm-hmm. complex. And it, and it reminds us of our ethical relationship to each other, mm. right? Because, you know, if you're just like, well, I'm, you know, well, I'm oppressed too, right? But if you have all of those words, you have to be cued into the fact that you're probably participating in the oppression of yes. another. Oh, 
Oh, right? and that that, that piece that when you know, Bell Hooks is the first person I heard say that we can all be oppressors, that yeah. we can yes. all become oppressors, and that is oh, girl, we need that so much. And I think that what's so exciting for me about her work right now is how much we need it, how much that. In the world right now, with everything that's going on, we desperately need this work. And it's actually being, I think it's important to note that Ron DeSantis wants to ban it in the state of Florida right now. She's one of the authors that he wants to ban. And the conversation Mm -hmm. around intersectionality, he wants to ban, right? So Mm -hmm. the stakes are high. Darnell, Darnell, um, do you want to speak to imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy? (laughs) Just putting an exclamation point on what Amani shared about... um, her invitation for us to consider our complicities. Mm-hmm. And it is a weighty term. And to the point about the weightiness of it, you know, I often say, and this is really modeled after her and her teaching. You know, I've, I repeat this everywhere I go. We're really clear and, and been sort of trained to name the feet that are situated on our necks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've not really done the work of naming the necks that our feet are situated on. And after having done that, taking your feet off that i owe to bell hooks <laughs> really mm-hmm. inviting me as a black can we pause ma- can we actually pause there now can you say that one more time mm-hmm. that we're really good at naming the feet that are that are situated on our necks and we're not really good at being honest about the necks that our feet are situated on let alone removing them mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. we find out that we are and i often ask rooms when i say that how many of us know that that we all got our feet on somebody's neck Oh. Um, that honest reckoning is a part of what that weighty phrase invites us to lean into. And I'll say even more specifically, as a Black male-identified person, a cisgender man, socialized in the world to breathe domination like I breathe air and to love it. Mm. And to love it. It was Bell's work Along with others, you know, I think about the work of June Jordan and Sherlock. I mean, yes. right, like these are folk that really did teach me that feminism was expansive. It was for me too. In Absolutely. fact, that patriarchy was more of a hindrance to my freedom, more of a denier of my freedom than it was a gift. Now, I wouldn't have gotten there had Bell's words and the words of other Black feminists not invite me into that work of self-reckoning, mm-hmm. which itself is a gift. Um, and to the points that you both made, it isn't just a theoretical move. Like these words have shifted the way I live my life, the way that I actually engage with other people. It is an ethic, like undergirding it, mm-hmm. that shapes how I am living and how I exist and in community with other people in the world, how I love, how I have sex, how I think about sex. You know, all of those things are really shaped by Bell's work along with the work of so many other Black feminists. Mm. And it really, I mean, it's just, it's the genius of Bell, but it is so important to acknowledge the work of other Black feminists because she, you know, it's in conversation with those other feminists um, historically and her contemporaries and built on that work. And I mean, the whole point of her name being Laura Case is that it was, it was about a movement. It was yeah. about a collective. It wasn't about like, you know, even though she became a, you know, a star and, mm-hmm. you know, unintentionally so, um, you know, <laughs> destiny is destiny. But it was about the collective it, mm-hmm. in, in such a beautiful, amazing way. Is there a particular book? I mean, she wrote over... 30 books. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of books. Um, but, but is there a, a moment from Belle that feels like seminal, that feels critical for you and thinking about her work and her legacy? Mm. I mean, the quote that I, I have in front of me um, mm-hmm. from Feminism is for Everybody. Yeah. Patriarchal masculinity teaches men that their sense of self and identity, their reason for being, resides in their capacity to dominate others and skipping down. Boys need healthy self-esteem. They need love. And a wise and loving feminist politics can provide the only foundation to save the lives of male children. Patriarchy will not heal them. If that were so, they would all be well. Mm. Now, if this was contemporary, we'll probably put period at the end, right? (laughs) Period, yes. But like, that is it for me. Like, that is it. Yeah. For me, like this idea that we are attempting in this moment 
to ban the very thing, to get out of the curriculum and off of the bookshelves, the very doorways, entry points to a type of liberatory future, a type of new way of being. For folk who are socialized in the world as boys and who go off to identify as men, right? Like, scares the hell out of me. Like, this was a gift, y'all, for like mm. the way I orient myself in the world, the way that I exist. Um, mm. And it, it, it changed the course of my thinking, for sure. It's so powerful to hear a male identified person speak to this as well, because feminism is, is for everybody, you know? And one of my favorite moments from Belle is that um, you do not need men for patriarchy. At all. Patriarchy Word. has no gender. Say that again. Patriarchy <laughs> has <real>. no gender. <laughs> we do not need... It, 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 it speaks to the ways in which we all collude and can be in partnership in perpetuating. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's so much there. This is a good time to take a little break. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All righty, we're back. Imani, is there a moment from um, Belle that for you, it's just like that, it's just the moment? Well, yes, but I will say, mm -hmm. Darnell, reading that part actually makes me rethink the moment because mm. so much of what she wrote, and I have been actually grappling with that. Uh, this question of how much she influenced me in ways that I wasn't even fully cognizant of. Because when I hear that quote, I'm like, right, but this is, this is her presence that has shaped the way that I parent, like sort of wanting to have sons who can be free mm. of patriarchy, to raise them free. I was thinking about your book as I was reading that. It's a direct, I mean, direct mm. connection mm. to want them to be free, right? Mm. So. um so that part, and then I would say for my own development, and I don't even know necessarily that it's my favorite piece of hers, but in yearning, there was something about, and there's an essay in it, Third World Diva Girls, which is about the students who she was mentoring. Yeah. But there was something about being considered. Mm. Like, here's this great intellectual who's thinking about young women like us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that was so huge. It doesn't seem like it should be huge. It's this, this, this amazing moment of black feminist literature and writing and novels and stuff. But there was something about the way she honed in on young women she cared about and wanted to not just think about, but actually pay tribute to their excellence and their beauty and how special they were. And that being considered matters so much. For us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of what she would do over and over again in mm. different ways. I'm going to pay attention to you, mm -hmm. right? No, not yeah. knowing us, necessarily, but, but to the reader, right? And I think that's part of why young people, everybody has to go through bell hooks 
I think, for a kind of sort of self-actualization, honestly, particularly young Black people. But I really yeah. think there's something about young people of conscience, right? Like figuring themselves out. She's a, she's a curate. She's a tender of souls in that mm, way. Yeah. Right? So for me, it was yearning. Mm-hmm. Um, she shifted my molecules. Black Looks was the first book of hers I read, and Yearning was the second one. And my favorite quote of hers is from Yearning, that, um, that I often allude to. Language is also a place of struggle. I was just a young girl coming slowly into womanhood when I read Adrian Rich's words. This is the oppressor's language, yet I needed to talk to you. Language is also a place of struggle. And, and mm. there's more. I have it written down. It's just, and I got to, when she um, opened the Bell Hooks Institute, I got to be there and I got to read the, that passage to her in front of an audience. And it was really quite beautiful for me because I had, um, I, mean, I discovered Bell's work in the early 90s when I was an undergraduate. Um, and it just shifted my molecules. And by the time that, Bell Hooks Institute opened in 2015, I think it was. I lived with this work for so long and had just contemplated it. And it really just, it changed my life. Um, and just in ways I can't even imagine. I just like, the in the way in which I had to confront my own internalized racism. And I feel like we don't talk enough about internalized racism now. I, there are different ways in which we t- talk about it, but I feel like we don't talk about it enough. The way mm-hmm. Bell talks about it is so clear and it's so plain. Yeah. Um, the, when she talks about growing up in the segregated South and the color caste system, and she calls it a color caste system, and we, we don't really use that language anymore. She tells the story of um, going to her, I think her grandmother's house, who looked white and lived in a white neighborhood, and who said, you know, would say, I don't want that darkie, referring to Belle's sister coming over. And that white supremacy was something that we enacted as Black people on each other, that this is something that we deeply internalized. And when I encountered her work, it was like, it hit me, like the internalized Mm. white supremacy hit me so hard Mm. that it just, it was painful and difficult. And Mm. it was a reckoning that was like, fuck, like, I, I mm. gotta decolonize my mind. I, mm. and, and this is like, and it's an ongoing process. And it's an ongoing process because of the ways in which we collude. I mean, in my conversation with her that we did at the new school, and she sort of called out my blonde hair and high heels, and the way in which you know, white supremacy intersects with capitalism and patriarchy and being a woman, a straight woman who has sex with men and wanting to be seen and mm-hmm. attractive in a white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist context. So that like these things, even with that knowledge, these things mm-hmm. are working in our lives and we have to negotiate them. She also said that we're often living in contradiction mm-hmm. when we have yes. to navigate these systems, right? That this is... It's it's so complicated and it's so mm-hmm. and it's so often very painful as well. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a place of struggle. Mm. I want to finish reading that um, language is also a place of struggle quote because it's so good. Um, she goes, um, "This is this language that enabled me to attend graduate school, to write a dissertation, to speak at job interviews carries the scent of oppression. Language is also a place of struggle." We are wedded in language, have our being in words. Language is also a place of struggle. Dare I speak to oppressed and oppressor in the same voice? Dare I speak to you in a language that will move beyond the boundaries of domination, a language that will not bind you, fence you in, or hold you? Language is also a place of struggle. The oppressed struggle in language to recover ourselves, to reconcile, to reunite, to renew. Our Mm -hmm. words are not without meaning. They are an action, a resistance. Mm. Language is also a place of struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I was thinking about your point earlier about seeing that, being really clear that Bell was also an artist. And, you know, I think we think about Bell, the academic or mm-hmm. the social theorist, but she's a writer. Yes. <laughs> you you think? very much... <laughs> You know, but I think the three of us will know, but literally talking about the way she studied her craft, the language, the prose, like read feverishly and was reading like for understanding of new ideas. But I think like also what you just read was craft. 
here is someone using craft to write. And I just want to acknowledge that. Absolutely. And I don't think we celebrate that enough, you know? But no, and I, I think that's also, to be completely frank, part of the reason why she hasn't been given her full due as an intellectual is because she was an artist. Mm-hmm. Because beauty was important. Yes. Right? So beauty was not secondary to ideas. Yeah. And there's a lot of resistance amongst, yes. you know, amongst intellectuals, the idea that you do something beautifully. I'd also, I just wanted to go back to something you said, Laverne, that I think is so powerful because I think in her own life, she was working through in a very open way, these questions around wanting to be attractive, mm-hmm. wanting to be, you know, recognized and also understanding that that wasn't what she was doing it for, that internal tension I just love that she was transparent about it. Yep. Yeah. Because she gave us permission to be transparent about mm-hmm. the way that we, you know, that we struggle with those things, you know. Absolutely. Um, and can we just say she was very transparent? Yes. <laughs> There's nobody for me to date, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who I'm going to go out with? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell people all the time, like, Belle was a king. She was, oh my god, and she was, and she, <laughs> and she was shady. Of course, they all were shady. A like she was so shady. Ooh, yes, like she would read you to your face in a way yeah. with like elegance and and poetry and history, <laughs> but she would read you down. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> No, the time before she was, she was like, "So you have expanded since the last time I saw you," and I was like, "Okay, so you okay? No. Really?" Um, oh. <laughs> right. okay. We were when, listen. We were at an event, <laughs> and we were like, I think right about to start a panel. And I was saying something. We it's a book panel, and she turns to me. And she goes, "If that was the case, you could have said a little bit more about me and your book." <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, and that was a thing. She would get mad. Yeah, you know. But I, I, I always, I say this everywhere I go. Like. Um, so easy it is to turn any artist, any person who is public facing in the world into an avatar right. and to someone who like, who's sort of stripped of the full complex person that they are. Oh, yeah. That's right. And the person that I got to sit across from mm-hmm. on good and bad days, you know yeah. what I mean? Where it's like, here is a person that was inviting us, you know, she didn't sort of let us off the hook. She also didn't let herself off the hook. Mm-hmm. And she sat in reckoning. She was, you know, the same person that writes all about love, sits you down and says, I really just want intimacy. I really yeah. just want a man. I just want somebody to hold on and like rub up next to. Yes. You know what I mean? I want to own right. You know, I'm like, and was very honest about that. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, we'll be talking about Buddhist principles, but the second hand, like, oh, and I can't stand such and such. Right. You know what I mean? And like, really. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Fully, fully, like shading. <laughs> shading. <laughs> oh, there's stuff I can't even talk about that she's that exactly we saying. But the thing is, here's what I'll say about that: it gave me permission. It gave me permission to be like okay oh, with yeah, my full humanity. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We are complicated beings. Yeah. Yes. And she was controversial throughout her life. Really, I, I was thinking a lot about different ideas that, that are so important to her work. There's a wonderful YouTuber named Kimberly Foster who uh, founded For Harriet, which is a great YouTube channel that I enjoy. And she often, she does cultural criticism and she's read her bell hooks. And you, you know she's read her bell hooks when she talks about the Watt video and she talks about it in the context <laughs> of spectacle. When she, when she started talking about it being spectacle in relationship to sexual liberation, does the spectacle undermine the idea? I was like, she's read her bell hooks. <laughs> and the the concept obviously of um society of spectacle comes from Guy Debord's famous that, book mm-hmm. but the way that bell adapted it that's a really good example mm-hmm. of like this french you know post structuralist theorist who was a sort of marxist you know theorist yeah. that bell took his work as she did with foucault and others and made it accessible in ways to talk about pop culture in ways to talk about the world around us that are really crucial. The way she talked about spectacle specifically, I find really useful in looking at the world around us right now. Interesting. And I will say, I didn't totally agree with her. I mean, we had some arguments over popular culture because, and there's this beautiful book that she did with Stuart Hall that's about Mm that because popular culture is also a place where people disrupt, right, the order Mm -hmm. and like challenge it. 
But I think actually raising the question is incredibly important, right? And mm-hmm. trusting us to raise that question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. Darnell, did you want to hop in? No, I'm just thinking more broadly about um, you said, you started by saying, you know, and Bell <laughs> raised critical points at some time that weren't always popular. Oh, n- at oh all. no. Um, <laughs> and I, like, I, we just modeled something here. I mean, I think in many cases we've all talked about, well, at least I heard you say it, Imani, I can say it too. And Laverne, I'm sure we've had moments where I just did not agree with some of the things that you profit, right? Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I am most thoughtful about now after having witnessed the sort of collective, and these things can, they, these are not mutually exclusive, so hear me out. But there was like this collective moan and this collective grief that sort of we experienced after she passed mm-hmm. by some of the very people that, you know, they, they, they dragged her. They sure did. Dragged her. And like her work was to do criticism. And I can disagree with yes. a point that you raised without demeaning your humanity. And like, absolutely. It just, I just want to name y'all. Like, this is what it means. You want to talk about the spectacle. I, yeah, I just had to get that off my chest. Yeah, and Namani, you said this to me once before. You probably forgot years ago that um, somehow we're so. If we look at criticism, the way that I think about it is like to love is to not lie, right? You would not be dishonest to a thing or offer a thing that you love dishonesty. You would give it truth, even if that truth is to say this could be better or whatever the critique might be. Criticism is love when it's grounded in love. In love, that's right. In love, right? I, you know, I'll say that, you know, after she wrote her piece about Lemonade, it was interesting watching the academic beehive, the the Black (laughs) women's beehive, swarm. (laughs) They swarmed. Swarm on bell hooks, like hardcore. Like, it was the whole symposium that came together after Lemonade and, like, did a (laughs) thing. I gagged. I really gagged. And as a member of the Beehive myself, as a hardcore Beyonce fan, and as a hardcore Bell Hooks fan, um, it was deeply painful for me to witness that. And I I remember calling her. (sighs) Mm. I remember calling her as... um, as that was as that was happening, and I don't know if you guys talked to her mm-hmm. in the aftermath yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. After that hit, you know, <laughs> the mm-hmm. beehives swarmed, and they had the whole like form. Oh, they the, sure did. Whatever that yeah. was, I didn't read it though. Um, and I call, and I remember calling her, and she was, she was just so hurt. Mm-hmm. She was so hurt. But I remember saying to her that you are the blueprint. You are. Black feminism is what it is because of you and your work. And they've all convened in this way because you are so great, because you are so important and you are so impactful that 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 she's that bitch, you know, to uh, to, to quote Beyonce, um, that she Belle was that bitch so much so that they they had to swarm, you know. Um, and after the I got off the phone with her, I remember her feeling better. Her mood oh. seemed to shift after that, but that was deeply painful for me to witness and watch. And um, it and it's and I don't I don't agree with most of her um, assessments of Beyonce except it was it was really interesting there was a moment when I was um, I had my copy my hard copy of Black Looks I still have my original copies um, in my LA place and I was um, I was traveling and I wanted to allude to um, an essay from Black Looks actually the oppositional gaze and I didn't have the book with me and so I downloaded it on Kindle and I reread the introduction and I was mentioned in the introduction <laughs> um, my, me along with Beyonce and, and Belle uh, mentioned me on the the cover of Time Magazine with blonde hair and Beyonce on the cover of Time Magazine with blonde hair and underwear and how, and she sort of talked about you know, this, these blonde women, these black women in blonde hair and uh, reinforcing imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. And <laughs> And I read it and I, you know, I, I actually called her. I was like, girl, I just reread the, you know, and it's all, and I can my love for her never diminished with that critique because I, it's just, it is, it is what it is, you know? Right. You know, one of the things that I think of, I think about her and how she came of age intellectually, right? So, and politically, um, Beverly Guy Sheftal tells this story about when they went to the National Women's Studies Association the first time and 
you know, there was a big upheaval. I can't remember what it, I think it was, it was either Audre Lorde or, or, or June Jordan. There was fighting mm. and deliberation. And then even on the intellectual side, right. And thinking about her hanging out with people mm-hmm. like Edward Said, who said never solidarity before deliberation and debate, right. Mm-hmm. That she assumed that we were in community and we could fight yeah. in community. And then, mm. and so we need that time back. And, you know, you just modeled Mm. a way of getting that time back, right? In that, that you can sustain community and also be like, we don't think of the same way. And not just be dispassionate, but sometimes fight in the process, right? But we trust each other enough for that. And I just think that people miss that. Yes. That's so crucially. Thank you for that. That is so beautiful. That's so important. And that's such a beautiful lesson from that that period of feminism. And it reminds me of a moment that that Cornel West and Bell had in the 90s after the Million Man March. And Bell, um, this is a great um, video where Bell's like, you know, it's hard for us to be in process sometimes. It's hard for me to stand up here with you, Cornel, after not seeing you for a while and say, I I don't agree with you. I I disagree with you. I disagree with you vehemently. That's hard for me. but I don't agree with you. And she said, yeah. like, I don't agree with you. And luckily for them, I believe they were able to maintain that love over decades when they didn't always agree. Yeah. Um, it feels like they were. I don't know the inner, you know. They were. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely were, for sure. And it's, it's, you know, when I think about Belle and Belle's work and Belle's just life and, and just the everydayness of her life, um, I am also thinking about what her career, along with others, you, you mentioned Cornell, and there, there's others that we can sort of list as that class of public intellectuals mm-hmm. who are about the work of bringing the uh, sort of ideas and debate to the public square. Like, remember, this is a period of like immense debate. Um, and folk were welcomed into debate so much so that they would convene in stadiums on occasion mm. in front of the cameras, right? Huge. In front of the community and yes. have differences of opinion. And guess what? It was all well when the conversations were over because at the core of it was this understanding that to engage in this way, particularly for an end of a, of an expansive Black liberation um, is an act of love to disagree in this way, to push each other in this way. And to Amani's, like we are in a stage where when she went to have the sort of lemonade conversation, we were in a stage of, you talk about spectacle, of sort of one dimensionality, you know, of like echo chambers, of, and I to dare say it, like an inability to be really honest and therefore loving with people when there are things that we want to disagree with. Mm-hmm. It really kind of evokes this whole time when we, when folks were able to, lovingly disagree, lovingly be in dialogue to get, because it was about the ideas. It was about getting to a better way of liberating ourselves and each other. It wasn't about like the sort of gatekeeping, who's right, who's wrong. But I think that it feels like the capitalist piece is, is, is operating, right? That, that the spectacle, I'm so glad we brought that in. Um, the spectacle it works in direct relationship to capitalism and direct relationship to clicks in a world of clicks Ooh. and a world of algorithms that, that kind of engaged dialogue across difference with love and empathy does not really work in this capitalist structure that we live in now with media and social media. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, even, for example, and I've tried to write a bit about this, right? You can't actually deliberate. If somebody Mm. posts something, then it's just over, right? And the life, even if a person then goes on to have a conversation and change their perspective, that thing exists out there as a representation of them that circulates and has a life of its own that at a certain point no longer has to do with the body and the mind of the person who initially posts it, right? So you can't mm. even have like a real conversation where people evolve because mm, yeah. people are held to the moment at the beginning of the conversation. Mm. And this is really, I mean, how to, trying to have space to give people space to evolve where they don't know, where they might not understand something. I, I, right. lang, you know, language is a place to stroll and that like the T word that ends with a Y. It's, everybody doesn't know that that's offensive to some trans people and right. that you in certain spaces you might 
you know, be read and, and people might feel right. a way about it. And we have to give people space to evolve and to be able to grapple with ideas. You know, it's so hard and it's so tricky, but there has to be love and nuance there. And I think it also part of what makes it so hard is something that you said earlier, which is they're also bad faith actors, right? So there yes, are people yes. who are evolving and then there are people who are actually gaining their traction and their audience, right? And by being yeah. bad faith actors who are just being horrific, right? And so yeah. we're so vulnerable in that scenario, right? And there is a whole, there's an entire media ecosystem that supports that bad that, faith, right. that um, the lies, the propaganda, so that they don't even the real truth or the nuance certain people will never ever see because they're right. funneled the lie, the propaganda through algorithms, through only watching, mm-hmm. whatever. And so this is a, it's a very tricky time for liberation because there is a whole propaganda machine, right? Yeah. That didn't exist in the 70s and 80s. That is so pervasive and effective, deeply effective. Or existed, but in just, you know, by way of different sort of uh technological means yeah. and at a do- sort of different scale, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the scale. It's a, the pro- that propaganda has always existed because this whole, most of the anti-LGBT stuff, none of this is new, but it's been scaled it's a, with social yes. media. Scale, yeah. And so it's reaching way more people and there's no <laughs> spaces of, of it being challenged. Um, but what I love about Belle, too, is that, like, speaking of intersectionality, is that she, you know, historically, there, there are a lot of feminists who have, who have had issues with trans people. And Belle just never, mm-hmm. in my experience, was never that person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. She was critical of, you know, my wigs and high heels and, and, and the trappings of patriarchy. And I think that is certainly a conversation, right? But there was just, she, she loved me. I, I, Mm -hmm. yes. She loved me. She did love you. That's absolutely true. That's true. Um, deeply. Deeply. And I, um, and I loved her and, um, and she saw me Mm -hmm. and, um, in a way that I needed to be seen. I always felt like even before I met her, I felt like she was my second mother, my feminist mother. That, that Mm -hmm. when I read her work, I was just, it was like, I remember reading Sisters of the Yams, and it was just like, this is my mom, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know if anybody else has that experience. Anyway, I'm getting emotional. We'll be right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Without further ado, when I think about um, Belle's influence and how we talk about pop culture, Real to Real is mm-hmm. one of my favorite books of hers, and it's just all film criticism. Um, I think it was in the mid-90s that she wrote it, and she reviews films like The Crying Game and Bodyguard, Daughters of the Dust. And the idea that she wrote about it in um, Black Looks, um, the oppositional gaze, Black female spectatorship, I think is so 
crucially important when we think about film criticism, just in general, when we think about feminist film criticism. It's a concept that really, as for me as a producer, um, when I was making Disclosure, it's something I thought a lot about. Mm. Um, her idea of the oppositional gaze, and I'm just going to read a little bit from it. I'm okay. obsessed with like reading Bell Hooks excerpts. In the oppositional gaze, Black female spectators, Bell writes, when thinking about Black female spectators, I remember being punished as a child for staring. For those hard, intense, direct looks children would give grown-ups, looks that were seen as confrontational, as gestures of resistance, challenges to authority. The gaze has always been political in my life. Imagine the terror felt by the child who has come to understand through repeated punishments that one's gaze can be dangerous. Mm. The child who has learned so well to look the other way when necessary. Yet when punished, the child is told by parents, look at me when I talk to you. Only the Mm. child is afraid to look, afraid to look, but fascinated by the gaze. There's power in looking. Amazed the first time I read in history classes that white slave owners, men, women, and children, punished enslaved Black people for looking. I wondered how this traumatic relationship to the gaze had informed Black parenting and Black spectatorship. The politics of slavery, of racialized power relations, were such that the slaves were denied their right to gaze. She continues, years later, reading Michel Foucault, I thought again about these connections, about the ways power as domination reproduces itself in different locations, employing similar apparatuses, strategies, and mechanisms of control. Since I knew as a child that the dominating power adults exercised over me and over my gaze was never so absolute that I did not dare to look, to sneak a peek, to stare dangerously. I knew that the slaves had looked, that all attempts to repress our Black people's right to gaze had produced in us an overwhelming longing to look, a rebellious desire, an oppositional gaze. By courageously looking, we defiantly declared, not only will I stare, I want my look to change reality. Mm. Oh! Mm. Oh! And talking about craft, by the way. Mm-hmm. Craft. I want yeah. my look to change reality. And that is really, I mean, for me as, I mean, as an image maker, mm-hmm. as a producer, we're, we're working on a, a new show right now. I think so much about that, how, mm-hmm. how I can look differently and, and, mm-hmm. and produce images differently. And it's, it's tricky. It's hard, but it's like, it's really about decentering. I think so much of it is about what does it mean to decenter. I think here she's talking about the patriarchal white supremacist gaze. But for me, it's that patriarchal white supremacist gaze, but it's also the cisnormative, heteronormative gaze. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to decenter that gaze? And then we can have the conversations differently. So that we're not having the conversations on the terms of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Yes. That we're having the conversations and doing the representation from margin to center, where we yeah. are now, right? Feminist theory from margin to center, another yeah. Bell Hooks reference, that we can recenter the marginalized, the oppressed. Um, mm-hmm. but what comes up for you when you hear that gorgeous prose? I instantly think about um, all of what you just said, by the way, and thank you for the beauty with which you read that. Yes. Like, I'm listening to the, like, the beautiful way you're reading the words, and it's also just animating them. Um, yes, decentering, but also oppositional in terms of being able to sort of revert the gaze, be honest about what it is that we are seeing. Ooh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. That's a critical political work for us to be able to, one, sort of shape our lens, create a lens through which we can actually see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do the work of reverting that. Yes. And I, it, it also, it makes me think that part of the reason she is such a resilient thinker for us is that, right? So what happens? How do we decenter a cis heteronormative gaze, right? Mm. So, you know, Bell Hooks doesn't have a long exegesis on that question, but she's mm-hmm. given us the tools to pursue that kind of question. So often with thinkers, when we, and the way that you read that was so, was gorgeous, both in form, but also 
you sound it like sort of being given wings, right? And that's the yes. thing, right? Yeah. To be given the wings to do the thinking. So often we just mimic mm-hmm. what other folks were like, oh, I like what that person said. Not mm-hmm. this, what this person said becomes something that then we can use to create on mm-hmm. our own. And I think that's, that's what comes up for me, you know, is that, okay, my eyes, my eyes, my perspective, my witness, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Belle was so, it, it, she said over and over and over again as a teacher, as a professor, that one of the most important things for her to impart to her students is, is critical thinking. Mm-hmm. that they're able to engage with the work to think critically and then to come up with new things and to and to work with the work. She would say, I want you to work with the work. There was a moment in um, Loving Blackness is Political Resistance. I think that is an essay from, I think it's from Yearning. I forget yeah. where. Um, I remember reading that, you know, 20 years, no, 25 years ago or so. And she talked about Black is Beautiful, that jargon, that phrase that um, emerged in the late 1960s and early 70s as a way to celebrate Blackness, to celebrate beauty standards that were not informed by white supremacy. And I remember thinking, how amazing would it be for trans people to have a movement, a a trans is beautiful movement to celebrate Mm -hmm. all the things about trans people that, um, you know, are not cis-normative, And I literally started the hashtag trans is beautiful in 2015, inspired by that, inspired by this idea that I'm not beautiful Mm. despite my big hands, my big feet, my deep Mm. voice, my wide shoulders, all the things that make me noticeably trans. I'm beautiful because of those things. Mm. And that came directly from reading Bell Hooks's work and thinking about loving blackness as political resistance, loving transness as political resistance, right? And so that... That's how I'm working with the work. Oh, I love you know, that. That's yes. just one, that's one way that I'm working with the work. Um, how, are, how are you finding that you're working with the work? You know, I, honestly, like f- so much of what I have benefited from both her work and just her friendship is um, some sort of uh, tidbits on how I might live a life mm. that is deeply invested in connectivity, like profoundly in real ways, living out love in real time. Um, Like I become so much more invested in living, (laughs) loving the people that I have around me um, and the strangers that I have that I come in contact with living, trying my best to be better at not preaching a thing, but living it. Mm -hmm. And those are like the everyday, like, in, in every real, like in very meaningful ways, like it's, I've tried to take that up in the way that I live. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, like I'm profoundly shaped by her work as a black cisgender man who's in the world thinking about a world that's been freed up from the pangs of patriarchal violence. And it's an everyday work. Every day I have to make decisions and negotiate the ways that I move in the world the ways that I love, the ways that I am loved, like, and that is like, you know, this second work that's been taking me forever to sort of work through Mm. is directly connected to her, her teaching. I mean, a book is, the first iteration of it was called Unbecoming, Visions Beyond the Limits of Manhood, right? Isn't that like such an homage to something that Belle would have us think about, right? Like Mm -hmm. what it means to sort of unravel, to look back at the self and say, how can I pull out, take away, do away with these things that aren't doing me any good um so my writing my living my political the texture of my political life mm-hmm. has been shaped by her and so many other black feminists for whom i'm and i say this with all honesty i would not be here i would not be here if i didn't have these black women's books to pick up and help me to love the black queer <laughs> um man mm-hmm. that i was taught to hate to love that person back. Mm-hmm. 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 I wouldn't be here either. I wouldn't be here either. Whew. How are you working with the work, Imani, in your life? Yeah, I. you know, it's, a lot of it is, um, I keep thinking about the word embodiment. Mm. And I think what I'm thinking about is um, her honesty and the vulnerability of my body witnessing the vulnerability of her body 
Mm. Um, and you know, what it means to have a body that in some way feels as though it's betraying you and in decline and, and the way that strips you down to what's the point, right? Mm. Why are we here? What's the point? Mm -hmm. And she was this reminder, you know, there are so many ways that she was punished for not having conventional trappings to what she was doing, Mm -hmm. but she stayed true to the point. And that, is why she will live. Mm-hmm. The work will live. And it's this reminder, right? We, you know, I, I turned 50 last year and this sort Me of too. to be that age. Me right. Too. So you're this age and you're like, okay, I'm over halfway done, most likely. Yeah. Why, why am I here? What am I? And yep. she, I, her example, you can't think it's going to be easy. Living in your purpose is not easy. And going against the grain is not yes. easy, you know, even to her talking about opening the Institute it was it was her thinking intentionally about her legacy. Yes. Why am I here? What's the point? She did struggle with with health yes, things for, for many years before she passed. And, and I think that prompted her to think, think very differently about that legacy. I think those th- series of talks that she did at the New School were so... Oh, just they were just so good. I've gone back and watched them many, many times. It's an honor to have gotten to participate in um in one of them. I think that was her thinking about her legacy, thinking about what she'll leave behind. And she she really did want <laughs> she wanted people she wanted love. She wanted people she to wanted love, love on her. She wanted people to love on the work. And she needed that. And she needed that sense of I've written over 30 books. I've been like in this for so long and I've been on a no-fly list and banned here and yeah. booed and and like just all kinds of crazy stuff being like she would refer to herself as an insurgent black, you know, intellectual, you know, in the early 90s that she was a real she was a revolutionary figure like for yeah, real for real. And was. that was not an easy road to hoe, <laughs> you know. It's it not. really wasn't. Um and yet and yet there was so much love that she gave that she allowed herself to receive that is deeply inspiring and empowering to think about I like to end every podcast with the question what else is true this comes okay. from my um Uh-oh. um <laughs> from my um somatic trauma therapy healing work what else is true um it's like what gets you through when the world is on fire when things are just deeply troubling what is the thing that you turn to a resource that um is also true like bell hooks let us know this <laughs> that multiple things can exist at the same time mm-hmm. so when things are troubled for you what else is true for you that you can look to that'll help you get through um imani you look you may be ready to answer <laughs> Roberta Flack's recording of Afro Blue. Oof. Mm. Early 1970s. It's not, it is, it's, it's genius and beautiful and, and healing. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to go listen to it right after this. Please Roberta do. Roberta Flack, Afro Blue. Darnell, what else is true for you today? A good bottle of red wine, a cab specifically, and my family. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> my boyfriend loves a good Cabernet too. So um, <laughs> a man after my own heart. I love it. Thank you so much, you. both of you. This is everything I hoped it would be. I hope I, I hope Belle feels the spirit, this energy, this celebration. I just thank you. I just thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Long live Bell Hooks. Yes, Long indeed. Oh, I'm so grateful to Darnell and Imani for that healing conversation. Love is what comes up for me over and over and over again. And Bell has said about love that love is a combination of care, commitment, knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust. And there's this wonderful talk that I alluded to earlier with Cornell West and Bell Hooks from the, from the mid-90s. And they begin with a quote from, from Martin Luther King. And the beginning of the quote is, I have chosen to love. I have chosen to love. Bell Hooks was a Buddhist, but she was deeply steeped in that tradition in the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, that Christian 
thing that, that Martin Luther King talked about, that it, we had to figure out a way to love each other, to um, be love warriors, as, as Cornel West would say. And so it's really all about love. And I hope that this podcast has inspired you to go and explore her work, to grapple with it, feel free to disagree with it, and hopefully be inspired to think more critically about your life, um, think more critically about the world around you. This is what she would want for you to engage with the work, to work with the work so that you can live a better life for yourself and make the world better around you. So, um, yeah, go read your bell hooks. Often we respond negatively mm-hmm. to the moment of process. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. e- even myself, you know, one of the things when I said to Cornell is, you know, I don't agree with some of the things you're saying lately. But I didn't really want to greet him after not seeing him for such a while with having to admit that I don't agree. Now think about that. We're two people who forge so much in dialogue and I can still feel afraid to say to him, I don't agree with you. And I think that so much of our shying away from anti-racist struggle is the fear that we have that when we come together in our differences and there is disagreement, we will have conflict and everything will fall apart. So many people feel it's better not to come together. It's better to stay with people that are just like yourself, where you can feel safe, where the smooth running can happen without any moment of chaos or conflict. But in the true spirit of both spiritual and political revolution, in the best sense, we cannot begin to build beloved community without embracing the moments of tension and conflict as part of the the struggle, as part of what we're seeking. Thank you so much for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox For Real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 